Congratulations. You have just found the number one over 50 health and wellness podcast on the planet. Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm the founder of The Silver Edge, and our mission is to help you build and maintain a lean, healthy body that you love for the rest of your life, so that you can show up in the second half of your life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. Today, we have another episode of The Coach's Corner, so no guest, it's just me, and we'll be back next week with our normal interview format. But today I want to talk about what you should do before you start your next diet to give yourself the best chance at long-term sustainable success. I want this to be part one of a three-part Coach's Corner series. So today we're going to dive in deep on what you should do, what are the activities and behaviors you should do in order to set yourself up for a successful weight loss journey, right? So this is all the things that we're going to do before we actually go on a diet. This gets missed so often. So next week, I'll talk about what we should do in the diet phase. And then the following week, I'm going to talk about what we do once the diet is quote unquote over. All right, let's get on with today's show. Do these five things before starting your next diet. Okay, before we get started today, I want to talk about the lottery. So I'm recording this in mid-October, and somebody just won the lottery. So there's this huge lottery. I think it was up to $1.6 billion. That's billion with a B. And somebody woke up this morning a billionaire. Somebody actually won the freaking lottery. Now, the reason I bring this up is because studies show us that people who come into a large financial windfall, meaning people who either inherit, win, or just suddenly find themselves to be multimillionaires, usually end up broke several years later. Now, why is that? How can somebody win $100 million, $50 million, something like that? Now, for the lottery winner last night who won $1.6 billion, I think I read that the actual estimated payout on that is going to be about $800 million. Maybe they won't end up broke. I mean, I can't imagine blowing $800 million. But The fact is people who inherit or win millions of dollars usually end up broke several years later. And the reason is this, although they got that financial windfall, they won those millions of dollars, they never learned or developed or practiced any good financial habits. So they have really crappy financial habits, which is probably why they were broke, (laughs) but they weren't millionaires to begin with, right? Like most of us. And they, they didn't get a chance to practice those good financial habits. No financial habits really changed and they end up broke. And I want to make the case that rapid weight loss is a little bit like winning the lottery. Let's just use, for example, Ozempic. I don't mean to pick on Ozempic, or maybe I do, I don't know, but let's just use that as our example. So you can go out and pay a thousand bucks a month. You can inject yourself with Ozempic and you'll lose weight. But the fact is the minute you stop using it, you're going to regain that weight. And why is that? Well, it's kind of like winning the lottery and those people, most of them end up broke several years later, you're going to end up 
regaining the weight, probably several months later, probably not several years later in this case. And the reason is the same. You took Ozempic, it diminished your appetite, you ate less, you lost some weight. But when you stopped taking it, you never changed your habits. You never developed and worked on healthy habits. And that's why that weight loss comes back. And you would need to, in order to maintain that weight loss that you got from, say, Ozempic, you'd have to just keep doing that for the rest of your life. It's almost like our lottery winner would need to win the lottery every couple of years, right, in order not to go broke. So I just thought that that was an interesting illustration of what happens when we end up with an end result without working to get there. And we don't have the practices and the habits to sustain it. Okay. Before I dive into these five things you should do before starting your next diet, let me tell you a little story. See if this sounds familiar. We're going to just take a hypothetical example here. So Mr. Smith wants to lose some weight. Mr. Smith decides he's going to go on a diet and he chooses, I'm going to pick on Weight Watchers today. He chooses Weight Watchers. So he joins Weight Watcher. He's serious. He's struggled with his weight his entire adult life. Here he is. He's facing 60 and he just would love to get rid of these 30 pounds. He's lost these 20 pounds. He's gained 20 pounds. He's lost 10 pounds. He's gained 15 pounds. He's been back and forth most of his adult life. But this time he's serious. He wants to lose some weight. So what does he do? He joins Weight Watchers and Weight Watchers, if you're not familiar, basically they have a point system to food and he's going to eat less food. So he's starting to eat less food and he's going to lose some weight. He loses a few pounds. He loses a few more and he's delighted. He said, okay, this is working. This is it. This is the diet for me. Why didn't I think of this before? And he's in here a month or two down the road when all of a sudden those pounds aren't falling off anymore. He's basically plateaued. He's eating the same amount of food that he was weeks prior when he was losing weight, but he's no longer losing weight. So he's plateaued. Months go by and he's still 15, 20 pounds overweight. And he can't figure out what to do. He gets frustrated. He's hungry most of the time. He's depriving himself. It's really tough on weekends when they, he and his wife like to go out on date nights, but he's really dedicated to losing this weight and keeping it off. But he's miserable until one day he decides, you know what? Screw this. And he goes back to eating his normal diet. And I don't need to tell you what happens next, right? He's going to regain that weight. What happened? I see this all the time. This is a very common scenario. What happens is people want to lose weight. And so they go on a diet and it makes perfect sense. And there are PhDs on social media who will tell you the only reason you're not losing weight is because you're eating too much food. And while there is certainly some truth to that, you do need to be in a calorie deficit, meaning you need to eat less food than you burn in calories in order to lose weight. There's more to the story than that. It's a little more complicated. And I say it all the time, what you do before you diet and what you do after your diet are way more important than what your actual diet is. So as I said in the intro, I want to make this a three-part series. And today is part one. But this begs the question, what should you do before you start a diet? How long should it take? And why would it even matter? So let's break down five critical steps that you should consider having in line before starting your next diet. And step number one is this, get strong. This is actually our main focus in the pre-diet phase, and this is how we're going to measure success as opposed to the number on the scale. Your primary focus in this pre-diet phase is muscle building. Now, 
Muscle building is the unsung hero of sustainable weight loss. And I'm not talking about anything crazy. You don't need to live in the gym. Maybe three days a week, 45 minutes to an hour sessions of professionally designed age-appropriate strength programming would be perfect. And just side note, by age-appropriate, I'm not talking about those little pink dumbbells that they give to frail seniors. I'm talking about functional strength movements, these compound lifts that mirror real-world activities. But by now you might be thinking, well, hold up, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'm trying to lose weight here. And the first thing out of the gate, you're saying that we're not worried about the scale. We're not worried about weight loss. You're talking about pumping iron like Arnold or turning me into the She-Hulk. Why the emphasis on building muscle? And here's the deal. Without going too far down a rabbit hole, what our goal is in this pre-diet phase is to optimize your metabolism. In other words, to slow up your stagnant metabolism, to take it from a glowing ember into a roaring furnace fire. Okay. And the best way we can do that is by increasing your muscle mass. So bear with me here for a minute. We're going to talk about two different types of muscle. We have type one and type two muscle fibers. All of us do. And you may have heard this referred to as slow twitch muscle and fast twitch muscle. And our slow twitch muscle, we do a pretty good job of hanging on to that throughout our uh, adult lives. We don't really lose that at an alarming rate. This is the type of muscle that's required for, say, walking or for any type of long endurance exercise. So think about your marathoners and your endurance bikers and your iron man and iron women, right? They have lots and lots of this type one muscle. Now picture a bodybuilder or a sprinter. These people have a lot of type two muscle and type two muscle is the type that we preferentially lose as we age. So there's a term sarcopenia. You guys may have heard that. We use that a lot on this show. And what that refers to is age-related muscle loss. You may even have heard that sarcopenia affects uh, people over the age of 40. I think over the age of 40, we tend to lose 10% of our muscle mass every decade after age 40, which is quite alarming. You may also have heard of osteopenia, which is age-related bone density lost, which is a big, big deal as we're aging here. But here's the deal. Both sarcopenia and osteopenia aren't just foregone conclusions. We're not losing muscle mass or bone density for that matter because we're aging so much as we are because we're not using this muscle, specifically this type two muscle. The other thing we need to remember about type two muscle is that it is very, very calorically expensive. In other words, your body has to burn more calories just to keep this muscle on your body, even while you're at rest. But it is this type two muscle that is very calorically expensive. So your body preferentially pairs down this muscle. It doesn't want you to have this additional type two muscle if you're not using it. And let's face it, most of us over 50 aren't using that type of muscle. We use our muscles, our type one muscles all the time when we walk to and from the car, to and from our offices, etc. maybe picking up things, moving around. But this type two muscle, this metabolic metabolically expensive muscle is only going to remain on your body if your body thinks you absolutely need it. And how do we develop this type two muscle? Well, really once upon a time, we would have done it in our day-to-day -day lives, but most of us now live very sedentary lives. So we do this in the gym. We do this in our home gyms. We do it through some type of strength training. 
So as we're aging, we have this muscle mass, this, this metabolically expensive muscle. We're losing it, and we want a way to regain that. There's a whole cascade of wonderful biological hormonal effects when we add this muscle mass. And for our purposes here, what we really want to focus on is the more of this muscle mass we have, the faster our metabolism will be, the more calories we'll burn at rest. And of course, in addition, doing strength training has a ton of other benefits, right? There's some emotional benefits. You'll feel more confident. You'll be more strong. You'll be more vital. You'll be more mobile. You're reducing your injury risk by being stronger. It was Mark Ripito who said that strong people are harder to kill and not just like in a fist fight or a knife fight, but you're harder to kill due to injury, due to illness, etc. When you've got a body that's got a decent amount of muscle on you. And look, it was Gabriel Lyon who said that uh, as Americans, we don't so much have a problem with being over fat as we do with being under muscled. And she's referring to specifically, again, that metabolically expensive type two muscle. So for a little bit of advice on getting started, like I said, you don't have to do anything crazy. You don't need to and probably shouldn't just live in the gym six days a week going hardcore, but you can go over to silveredgefree.com and we have a guide over there. It's, I think it's called the over 50 muscle building guide. Feel free to download that. That will give you some ideas on how to get started, or you can just reach out to me, coach at silveredgefitness.com, and I'll give you some tips on getting started. Okay, so that was our number one thing that we're going to focus on before starting our diet. We're going to get ourselves a little bit stronger, maybe even a lot a bit stronger, depending on where you're starting from. Okay, number two thing that you should consider before going on your diet is a reverse diet. Okay, you're probably thinking, wait, what? A reverse diet? Is that what it sounds like? And if so, why would I reverse diet if I'm trying to lose weight? Okay, so... Let's back up a little bit and let's define reverse diet. It is probably what most of you think it is. It's adding more calories in. It's eating more food, not less. So why would we do a reverse diet if our goal is to ultimately lose weight? Really, there's two reasons. And the first is to get you to a new calorie maintenance that is an appropriate place to start a diet from. And the second reason is to support building this muscle that we just talked about in the first phase. So let me back up. Let's talk about this new calorie maintenance that we're trying to reach. Remember back in the intro, we talked about Mr. Jones who wanted to lose some weight. He didn't do any pre-activity, just went on a diet, basically. He joined Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers put him in a calorie deficit, and it worked until it didn't. He lost some weight, and then he stopped losing weight. Mr. Jones didn't have a starting place. He didn't know how many calories he was eating to begin with, and he just ate less, and so he he lost a little bit of weight. But had he figured out exactly how many calories a day he was eating and then perhaps considered reverse dieting before going into a full-on diet, he'd have had more success. He certainly would have had more, he definitely would have had more success and he'd have had more long-term sustainable success. And I'm going to put a pin in that right now because we're going to come back to that here in just a second. But I want to talk about the second reason why we might reverse diet, and that's to put us in a calorie surplus to support building muscle. We're going to build muscle out of nothing. Our body needs the building blocks, amino acids specifically, that we get from eating proteins, which we'll talk about here in a minute, to build this muscle. So who should reverse diet? 
And I'd say that anybody who's currently under eating, and for all of you that are chronic dieters, all of you that are yo-yo dieters, all of you that are chronically under eating, and the first step is this, you really need to know what your current maintenance calories are. So in other words, I'm going to assume that you're right now, you're not currently dropping weight drastically, or hopefully you're not gaining weight drastically, that you're more or less maintaining your weight. Well, However many calories you're averaging in a week daily, that's your maintenance calories. So let's just say you're, let's just, we'll just use Mr. Jones, our example. Let's just say that we find out that he's averaging 1800 calories a day. That's his daily average. Maybe it's a little bit more on the weekend, a little less on the weekdays, but it averages out to about 1800 calories a day. Now he has some information. He's got a starting place to decide whether he's a good candidate for reverse dieting, or maybe he should just jump right into a diet, right? So he's eating this amount of food, 1800 calories, and he's neither gaining nor losing weight. That's his maintenance calories. And now while he could certainly go on a diet, and in our example, he did, right? He went down to, let's say, 1,300 calories. He lost some weight. But at 1,300 calories for a grown-ass man, that's not very many calories, and it's certainly not lifelong sustainable. What if we reverse dieted him to 2,500 calories, 2,700 calories, and that became his new maintenance? In other words, he's now eating 2,700 calories, and he's neither gaining nor losing weight. And you might be thinking, well, wait, 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 (laughs) it's a pretty big leap. How is he going to get from 1800 calories to 2700 calories without gaining a whole bunch of weight? Because that's like a lot more food. And you're right. What we're going to do is we're going to add 10 to 20 percent more calories to his daily food. And we're going to bump that up each week. So for example, if he's currently eating 1800 calories in our example, maybe we bump him up to 2100 calories and he eats that for a week. Then the next week, let's bump him up to 2,400 calories. And he eats that way for a week, maybe for a couple of weeks, right? And then we bump him up to, say, 26, 2,700 calories. And we're going to leave him there for maybe a month. And what we want to see is with this gradual increase in his calories over those three weeks, we want to see very little weight change. Any weight increase we see should be coming from muscle, because remember, he is now strength training and not from fat. Now, we just used a hypothetical example, and you might be thinking, well, how, how do I apply this to me? How, if I'm going to, if I decide I'm under eating, how do I know if I'm under eating? And how would I know when I stop on this crazy reverse diet thing you're talking about? Great questions. And let's just, let's put, let's use a general rule of thumb here. I would say that ladies, if you are eating less than say 17, so if you're eating 1600 calories or less, you're not eating enough food. You should probably consider a reverse diet. Guys, if you're eating under say 2200 calories, that's probably not enough food. You should consider reversing. And in terms of when you should stop, you should probably stop when you feel like you're stuffed and you can't eat another bite. (laughs) Now, you could take this too far, obviously, and those numbers I just threw out are, obviously, they're just stakes in the ground. They're just a starting place. Everybody's a bio-individual, a little bit different. But for the most part, if you are under-eating, you should consider reverse dieting. And here's why. Like we said with our example, if you're a guy and you're eating 1,800 calories, sure, you can suck it up. You can eat 1,300, 1,200 calories for a month. You can probably do that and you will most certainly, you won't most certainly, you will definitely lose weight doing that. 
The problem is you end up in an unsustainable place. You're now you're eating 12, 1300 calories. You can't do that for the rest of your life. That's just a miserable place to be. You, eventually you're going to give that up. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, what you should do at the end of a diet. But for our purposes here, if that same guy, before he went on his diet, took a month or two, got himself to 27, 2800 calories, and then decided to go on a diet from there. Cause that's his new maintenance calories. Remember we would then cut him back to say 2100 calories and he would eat that way for a month, six weeks, lose some weight. And then he would actually start that slow reverse process back. So that's a reverse diet. I know we've talked about that. We've covered this ground pretty well in past episodes, but that is the number two thing you should consider before going on your next diet. Your number three thing, and this won't be a surprise to a lot of you that listen to this show, is you should prioritize protein. Okay, so we are strength training, and we're eating in a slight caloric surplus with our reverse diet. We want to ensure that all these additional calories go to building muscle and not as fat. Your body would absolutely love nothing more than to store this additional food as fat. You're just evolutionarily designed that way. And... One of the ways that we can manipulate this in our favor, in other words, shuttle some of these additional calories that we're eating into building muscle, metabolically expensive muscle, that's going to make it easier for us to not only lose weight, but to maintain that lower weight is to prioritize protein. And this is where our protein comes in. You've heard me say it probably a bunch of times on this show, but we like to see people eat between 0.7 and one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. So what this does is send a loud, clear muscle building signal to the brain. Proteins are our muscle building blocks. And in addition, protein is the most satiating of macros. We probably all know that experience of when you eat a whole bunch of carbs, you're hungry again an hour later. You eat a whole bunch of protein, not so much. Protein is very, very satiating, meaning we feel fuller longer when we are prioritizing protein. So that begs the question, what should I be eating? What proteins are best? So first things first, animal sources are hands down your best option for bioavailable uh, amino acid profile proteins. They just are. So that would means things like lean beef, poultry, fish, seafood, eggs, which are nature's superfood. And please people eat the freaking yolk. That's far and away the most nutritious part of the egg. It's got the, it's got all the minerals and vitamins and other good stuff is in the yolk. But keep in mind that an egg has about one egg has about six grams of protein. If you're someone who tolerates dairy, plain Greek yogurt, or cultured cottage cheese, some great, great options there. And of course, if you're a more of a plant-based eater, there are some options there. Just know that you're going to have to work a lot harder to prioritize protein and to get enough protein into your diet. Other advice when it comes to prioritizing protein is to start early. You want to eat a high protein breakfast. So my advice is don't skip breakfast. Don't eat a bowl of cereal. Don't have grab a, a juice and a pop tart and go, but actually take the time, get a high protein breakfast, get that, that protein in early, and that will help you ensure that you get that protein goal for the day. And if you've got more questions on protein, you can check out both our guide to the healthy protein, as well as our over 50 high protein breakfast guide over at silveredgefree.com. Number four thing that you should have in order before you start your next diet is to get your Zen on. 
Look, I get it. We all live crazy, hectic lives. And while most of us can't control the stresses in our lives, we can control absolutely how we react to it. So let me back up a little bit. Your stress response is hardwired into your DNA. It was a critical part of all of our survival at one point. Flight or fight responses would have been essential when you were out, say, picking berries and you came around a boulder and you met a cyber-toothed tiger. would have meant the difference between life or death to have that immediate dump of cortisol and for your body to be triggered into this instant very hyper alert state. But get this, your body doesn't know the difference between a true life or death stress and you just being pissed off at your spouse or having road rage on the way to work. And this chronic state of low level stress is your weight loss enemy. Or to put it another way, it is preventing you from losing fat and building and or toning muscle. Because you are constantly dumping cortisol into your body and this is causing inflammation and that is no bueno. So what can we do? I love the idea of creating a habit of taking quick mindfulness breaks throughout the day. A while back, we had a guy named Jake Eagle on the podcast. I think that podcast was probably called The Power of Awe because he's got a book by that same name. And he championed taking 30-second timeouts, basically, these just little micro sessions of meditation to focus on something beautiful, bring your attention to that, bring your attention into your breath. I think that that's an excellent way of managing stress throughout the day. Some other ideas are things like gratitude practice. I'm a big fan of gratitude journaling. Certainly deep breathing practices as you find yourself getting all worked up in the middle of the day, taking 30 seconds to take some deep, deep breaths with that long, slow exhale. Excellent way to just unwind, get out of that fight or flight and into that more rest and digest state. I'm a big fan of prayer, big fan of meditation. Now, meditation doesn't mean you need to be a monk and sit on a concrete floor for hours. Even a couple of minutes a day has a lot of value for helping us deal with stress. And more recently, I've been playing with a little bit of yin yoga. We just had Cassandra Reinhardt on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. So I'm personally playing with this, and I feel like this is a great de-stressor as well. Now, one other thing, I don't often talk about supplements. You probably noticed that on this show. But for those of you that are crazy type A people, you're on the go, 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 and you're going from place to place with your hair on fire, you're probably magnesium depleted. And there's some pretty simple tests you can take in order to test that. But I might recommend supplementing with a quality magnesium. Cheap magnesium is just going to make you poop, frankly. Uh, I'm a big, big fan of a company called Ned, and they've got a product called Mellow. It's their... Uh, it's their magnesium product. Really, really enjoy that for helping me get, again, out of that sympathetic fight or flight state into more of that parasympathetic rest and digest state. Also, I'll just mention we have a over 50 guide to managing stress on our website. Again, that's over at silveredgefree.com. Feel free to head over there and grab that if that would be helpful for you. All right, let's bring this home. Number five thing you should do before you start your next diet is to get some freaking shut eye. I'm serious, people. I saved the best for last. Sleep makes everything better. Like the tide in the bay, when the tide comes in, all the boats rise. And if there was a hack or a magic pill for weight loss and muscle building, or really for the fountain of youth, it would be sleep. In fact, I'll say it is sleep. 
So sleep is wonderful for a number of reasons, right? I mean, that's when we, uh, we're actually building muscle, we're doing repair to the body, we're storing long-term memories, but sleep also helps to regulate our hunger and feel full hormones. And those are ghrelin and leptin. And I think we can all relate to this. Those of us that have had a crappy night's sleep, when you wake up the next day, you're probably not making great food choices. You're in a poor mood and you're just not, you're not on your A game versus when you have that glorious, wonderful, deep, restful night of sleep, you're probably making healthier choices, you feel better, you're more productive, etc. So a couple of my top tips for getting some good, healthy, restful sleep, A, is to sleep for a minimum of seven hours. Now there's, again, some of you type A people are probably thinking, ah, I don't need more than five or six hours. You do. <laughs> you could certainly, if you want to optimize your performance, if you want to optimize your body composition, getting more sleep would be helpful. So that's my first tip is just get enough quality sleep. Next, you want a cool, dark room. And by dark, I mean dark. Use blackout curtains. Maybe take a little bit of tape and put it over any uh, electronic LED type lights. And by cool, I mean sub 70 degrees. I read several studies that said the optimal temperature for human sleep is like 68 degrees. That's much cooler than most people probably are accustomed to sleeping in. Uh, my next tip would be to get a consistent sleep and wake time. And this means going to sleep and waking up at roughly the same time every day. And this means on weekdays as well as weekends. I suspect a lot of us probably have a pretty consistent sleep routine for the weekdays. And then we have something completely different uh, on the weekends. Some of us just throw that completely out the window on the weekends. Uh, my next tip is to avoid alcohol, especially late in the day. I'm not, I'm not advocating day drinking here, but drinking alcohol right before sleep is absolutely going to disturb your REM and deep sleep. And my final tip is this, no electronics an hour before bed. And a couple reasons for this. Number one is, of course, the blue light that's emitted from these electronics decrease our melatonin production, which is what makes us feel naturally sleepy. So we have to fight off that. The other thing is what we're viewing on these electronic devices. Very often we're viewing triggering information. We're watching an exciting TV show. We're scrolling social media or worse yet, the news right before bed. And that's not conducive to healthy sleep. And if you want more tips, you can check out our Sleep for Weight Loss and Muscle Building Guide. You guys can find that, of course, over at silveredgefree.com. Okay, so let's wrap up here. Remember, I started this whole diatribe off by saying that this is what you should do to lose weight sustainably. But if you don't care about that, and you just want to lose weight quickly only to regain the lost weight and a few bonus pounds to boot, be my guest and skip this step. Most people do. And most people have abysmal rates of keeping the weight off long-term. In fact, studies show that it's less than 3% of us that lose weight will actually manage to keep that weight off long-term. And you can see why. What I've just described is a pretty long and arduous process. And if you're dead set on losing some weight, I'm asking you to defer that, uh, to, to delay gratification, basically, to take a couple of months, maybe two, three months, maybe a little bit longer for some of you that are absolute metabolic train wrecks, but to take some time and put yourself into the best possible situation to set yourself up for permanent long-term weight loss. 
But this begs the question, how long will this pre-diet phase take? How long should it take? I want to start losing some weight. Well, I have some good news and some bad news for you. The good news is by being patient and implementing these steps, you'll not only set yourself up for permanent weight loss, but rapid weight loss as well. You'll be healthier. A healthier body is more willing to let go of excess fat stores than an unhealthy body. The bad news is, depending on your starting point, this may take several months, longer if you're a complete and total metabolic train wreck, which, let's face it, some of you are. And remember when we talked about reverse dieting? Once you reach your new max maintenance calories, you should hang there for a month or more, and the longer the better. If you've been under eating for years, it's not reasonable to expect your new maintenance calories to reset in a couple of weeks. Okay, next week, we're going to talk about the diet phase, and the following week, we'll finish with the post-diet phase. But for now, I hope you find this information helpful. If you're someone who has been a yo-yo dieter or is frustrated by the lack of diet success or constant dieting, consider backing up, reassessing, and optimizing your metabolism before embarking on yet another unsuccessful diet. Okay, that's our show for today, folks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I want to let you know that we have other free resources over at SilverEdgeFree.com. There, you'll find our free guides with our top tips on nutrition, exercise, and healthy lifestyle to assist you in your weight loss and fitness journey. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you. I'll put links to everything we talked about in the show notes, and you folks can find those over at SilverEdgeFitness.com slash 235. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. The first is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is for you YouTube folks to click the like and subscribe buttons and for you podcast folks to please give this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today and until next time, stay strong.